morning. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you. It's good to see you all this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Ben. I'm going to share the word uh, with us this morning. Uh, we've been in a series walking through the book of Mark. We've been in, in the book of Mark for a long time, and we're not even halfway through, and it is awesome. Uh, as a disciple of Jesus, uh, we get this incredible opportunity to just walk story by story through the book of Mark with him and learn from him how to live life in the kingdom of God. And today we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, picking up right where we left off last week. And uh, if you remember last week, Jesus has been going through these different towns and villages, preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out evil spirits. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth last week, where they do not receive him. They reject him. They're like, who do you think you are? You have all this knowledge, but we know who you are. You're the carpenter's son. We know your family. They still live here. You're nobody special, and they don't receive him. In fact, they drive him out of town. And then Jesus picks up right after that story and does something kind of strange. Jesus sort of uh, throws us a curveball and does something that he hasn't done yet and that we haven't really uh, anticipated him doing yet. Uh, And that's kind of where we're going to pick up today in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 6. And uh, I'd like to do something a little different to start off today. We don't often do this, but I want to just read the whole passage Okay, everything we're going to look at today, uh, it's just a handful of verses. I want to read it all just so we get a full context of what's going on here, and then we'll sort of pick it apart little by little. So this is what it says in the second half of Mark chapter 6, verse 6. It says, then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Okay, we're used to that at this point. He's done that a lot. Verse 7, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whatever, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And... If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. All right. So this is what Jesus does. He's been uh, leading his disciples up to this point. They've been with him probably about a year at this point. And he's been uh, showing them what what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God through his daily practices and also through the message that he goes around proclaiming. He starts proclaiming the availability of God's kingdom and that ordinary people like you and me can enter that kingdom and live in God's kingdom through the power of Jesus and through the power of the Spirit. And so he begins to, uh, to really show them what this looks like by healing people, by casting out evil spirits. And then he just throws us a curveball and says, okay, great, I've been doing all this stuff. Now I'd like you to go out and do it. Now I'd like you to go out into the villages on your own. I'm not gonna go uh, be there in, in the flesh next to you, working alongside you. I want you to go out and carry on the message and mission that I've begun. I want you to go and do what I am doing. 
In fact, uh, let's go back to the, the first verse we just read, verse 7. It says, Calling the twelve to, to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. So he's begun, he calls the twelve and sends them out. Who are the twelve, right? We think of them as the disciples, but Jesus, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus had many disciples with him during his whole ministry. But he had twelve sort of people that he had appointed as the, the twelve leaders, the ones that were going to sort of lead the charge and lead the mission. And he begins to send them out. And what is he asking them to do? Well, he gives them authority, okay? He gives them authority over impure spirits, so that's a clue. But we also get a clue as to what he's asking them to do by, by what it says in the summary in verses 12 and 13. Let's jump down there real fast. It says, they went out and preached that people should repent, which is exactly what Jesus had been preaching, that people should repent, this word repent is, a, is a kind of a strange word for us, and if you've been around here the last couple years, we've talked about it a few times. This word repent basically just means to turn, just to turn to God, turn from whatever you're doing, whatever you're trusting in, whatever you're, you're trying to make happen, and just turn to God. So they're, they're telling people, it is time to turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is here. It is available. Whatever you're trusting in, whatever you're looking at, turn away and turn to God. So they preach that people should repent, and, verse 13, they drove out many demons and anointed sick people and healed them. So they are being sent out, these 12, by Jesus to preach the message that they've heard from Jesus and to do the same miraculous works that they have seen Jesus doing. And we're kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. These are the 12 apostles. These are like the 12 big guys, right? These guys probably just have this incredible, like, planet-sized brain, and they probably just have this incredible spiritual capacity for doing uh, amazing spiritual works and signs and wonders, and they probably just are so in tune with the Spirit. But the thing is, we've been reading Mark for six chapters now, and these 12 that Jesus is sending out don't have that great of a track record so far. When Jesus preaches, they come to him later and say, ah, teacher, we don't get it. Can you explain it to us? And he has to unpack his parables. And he says to them, when will you get it? These, these people have a track record for not trusting Jesus in hard situations. The, these 12 have a track record also for not being on the same page as Jesus about his own mission. In fact, in just a couple of chapters, we're going to see them at cross purposes with Jesus. Jesus saying, here's what I'm here to do and here's what I'm going to do. And his 12 are going to be going, no, 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 Jesus, you can't do that. That's not what messiahs are supposed to do. These 12 do not have a great track record. More than that, none of them are spiritual geniuses. They're, they're ordinary, ordinary people from different spheres of life, working in different kinds of jobs, different kind of social groups. These are just ordinary people. They're not, they're not super spiritual seminary trained folks. They're just people with families, people with jobs, people who work with their hands, people who work with their minds. They're just normal people who are maybe just starting to get a taste of what Jesus is all about, but haven't fully comprehended everything. In one sense, what Jesus is doing right here is very ill-advised. It's too soon, Jesus. They're not ready. They haven't figured it out. They haven't seen, they don't even know about the resurrection yet. What are you doing, Jesus? You got to make sure you send out only the ones who are prepared, who are ready, who can really bring your mission forward. These 12, if we've been reading Mark so far and we remember all the things we've learned about them, are not extraordinary spiritual superstars. 
They're just people that Jesus has called to himself, and now he's sending them out. But Jesus doesn't send them unequipped, right? Jesus tells them uh, to take certain things with them. Look in verse 8. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. Cool. Okay, you can have a staff. Nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Don't even take food. Okay, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. He's saying, don't even pack clothes. Just one pair of shoes, just your staff, just your cloak. Don't bring bread. You don't need money. Just go. Again, Jesus, a little ill-advised. What are you doing? You're sending these guys totally unprepared. And, and it's kind of also strange that, that Mark would think, or, or, or Peter, who's sort of telling this story to Mark, and Mark's writing it down, Mark would think it's important to put these details in there. Okay, okay why do I need to know about the staff and no extra shirt? Cool, one, one shirt. Okay, they had one shirt. Who cares? But actually, Mark is doing something really specific because Jesus was doing something very specific when he said this. This list of, uh, of supplies that he allows his disciples to bring is actually something that would have uh, sort of triggered something in their minds. It would, have, it would have made them think about something that they all knew and had experienced. Uh, it would have made them think about the story in the Old Testament, the story of the Exodus, when God rescues his people from Egypt. And, and when he does this, God instructs his people. He says, I want you to eat this Passover meal. And this is the very first time that the Jewish festival of Passover is celebrated. And what happens is God says, I want you to, to, to kill an unblemished lamb. I want you to use the blood to anoint your doorposts. And then I want you to eat this specific meal in a specific way. Because this very night, I am going to send my spirit to kill all the firstborn among the Egyptians. But it will not touch your homes, seeing the the lamb's blood on your doorpost, and because this is going to happen, I, w- I will pass over your homes and you leave you in peace. And then that next morning when the sun breaks, the Egyptians will drive you out of their land. They will just say, leave, leave us, please, go, be free. You're no longer slaves. Get out of here. And so what it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11 is, this is how you are to eat this meal with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And so back in Exodus, right? Back in Exodus, when God is going to redeem his people, lead them into a new future, a new land, redeem them from slavery, and bring them forward and establish them, he says to have sandals, your belt, or your, your cloak tucked into your belt, make sure you got your cloak, Right? and your staff in your hand, because we're going to get up and we're going to go. Likewise, in in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is telling his 12 disciples, make sure you've got your cloak, your sandals, and your staff, and ultimately that is all you will need. What Jesus is doing is reenacting the Exodus story. And you know, all these disciples would have known this, because every year at Passover, they repeat this same text again and again and again, and they would have heard this over and over through all their lives growing up. And so they go, oh, we're doing Passover What Jesus is saying is, I called the 12 tribes of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of an impossible situation. I made a way in the wilderness, a way where there was no way, and I brought them into the promised land of freedom, that they could enjoy my lordship and live under my authority. 
Likewise, he's saying to the 12 disciples, I am sending you 12 to go into the, tr- the 12 tribes of, Egypt, or of Israel, and I want you to also, likewise, bring them out through my power, bring them out of slavery. Bring them out of slavery to sin, slavery to complacency, slavery to self-righteousness and self-reliance, and bring them into this new land that I will show you. I'm making a way where there is no way. What Jesus is doing is equating the sending of the 12 with bringing the Israelite people out of Egypt. What Jesus is doing is that massive, that big of a landmark, a turning point in history. He's already proclaiming freedom for captives, and he's bringing them into the kingdom of God, which is just what he was doing in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. And you know what? Uh, all through the New Testament. If you read uh, the Gospels, if you read the writings of the early church fathers, all through the, the New Testament, you see that what Jesus has done by redeeming his people from slavery to sin and death is compared to what God did among the Israelite people by bringing them out of Egypt. So Jesus has this big mission, and he says, you know, you don't need to bring a lot of stuff, but here are the things you will bring. And by so doing, he sort of reenacts the exodus, the redemption from from Egypt. And then it says in verse 10, and whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So he says, here are the very few things you're going to need for this mission. Just a few handful of things that you're going to need for this mission, okay? So he, he sort of gives them the list. And then he says, why? Because I am going to provide everything else you need. I'm going to to, to support you by giving you places to stay. And when there isn't a place for you to stay and you are not welcomed, then you can leave that place. You are free to leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. What Jesus is saying is, go forward, even though it feels like I have not fully supplied you. Go do the mission. Go call my people out of slavery. Even though it feels like I may not have fully supplied you, maybe you don't have all the education you need, maybe you don't have all of the energy you need, maybe you don't have all of the gifts you feel like you need. But go forward anyway, call my people out of slavery, and I will provide everything else you need. See, what Jesus wants his disciples to realize is that it is God at work, not themselves at work. It is God at work. They are participating in God's mission. So he tells them, go, take very few things, and everything else you need will be provided. But you know, he doesn't just give them physical supplies. He gives them a couple other things that they might need along the way, right? Remember, he's sending out unqualified people, so he's got to qualify them and equip them in some way. So he does that physically with with their sandals, their cloak, their staff. That's all you're going to need physically. But then he does something else that's that's pretty amazing. Go back to to verse 7, the very beginning of this passage. It said, calling the 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over impure spirits. He gave them authority over impure spirits. So Jesus, again and again in the gospel, in in all the gospels, Jesus says, okay, he says, I have authority. My Father has given me authority over all flesh, over the spiritual realms. He has given me authority. And when you come to Jesus and choose to sign up to be part of his mission, he also, we see all through the New Testament, he also gives you authority. You have a share 
in the authority of the one who said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's Matthew chapter 28. That same all authority in heaven and earth, the one who holds all authority in the spiritual realms, in the physical realms, authority over matter, authority over all things, has given you authority to do the work that he has called you to do. So often, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower, I sense God calling me to something. Or he just arranges the events of my life so that suddenly I'm, I'm in front of an opportunity to serve his kingdom. And I feel so inadequate to the task. I feel so unable to do what he's asked me to do. And yet this is the same Jesus who is saying, I have given you authority. And so often as a, as a Jesus follower, I live as if I have nothing, as if I have no resources, as if it's all down to me and my very, very, very limited human strength. But it's actually not all down to me. Because as a Jesus follower, I carry his authority into whatever mission he has asked me to accomplish. Think about this. Think about the authority Jesus had for a second. You know, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Think about what that means. Okay, we've seen him cast out evil spirits. In Mark chapter 5, we saw a man with an evil spirit before Jesus even said a word, run to Jesus, fall trembling at his feet, and say, have mercy on me. We've seen Jesus heal diseases, illnesses and ailments and disabilities that people were born with. We've seen him just, it's, it's done, it's over, you're healed. We've seen Jesus manipulate matter, physical matter, right? This is the Jesus who so understands how the physical world works because, spoiler alert, he created it. He knows how to make water work in such a way that it becomes solid under his foot and he can walk on it. He knows how to take a body that is no longer alive and cells that are dead and somehow bring it back to life. That is, that is this Jesus. He knows how to take just a few loaves of bread and a few little fish and so change them in such a way and use matter and be the master of creation in such a way that they become enough to feed thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so when Jesus begins to put an idea in your mind of something he might be calling you to, you, if you're anything like me, might be tempted to go, yeah, but I can't. Yeah, but if I was to do that, first I'd have to do this and this and this and this and this and get all these different qualifications. And that may be true. He may be asking you to get qualifications to do what he wants you to do, but never assume that his authority and his power do not go with you. So he sends out his disciples with his authority. And then he sends them out with one other thing that I think we often will miss if we're not reading super closely. I missed it the first, time I, first few times I read through this passage this week. But he sends them out with one other thing that is just essential. It says this, he began to send them out two by two. He does not send them out alone. He sends them out in pairs, Right? And so along the way, they have somebody there to rely on. Somebody who might be strong when they are weak. Somebody who might be able to remind them, hey, remember Jesus gave us authority. We don't have to be afraid. Somebody who might be able to encourage them. Might even physically be able to help them if they get injured or hurt or, or whatever. 
You know, this, this practice of sending out two by two continued long, long, long into the New Testament world, long into the early church world, when missionaries would go out to a new city that didn't, hadn't had the gospel proclaimed, and they would bring the message of Jesus, they would always go with companions. And they would go about in, in small groups, or at least in groups of two. They had one another. So often, you know, we forget that Jesus has given us his authority But then so often we sometimes go to the other end of the spectrum and we have this amazing hubris that says, I'm enough on my own. You know, I'm enough on my own. I don't really need people around me to encourage, to sharpen, to lead me forward. An image that's been playing in my mind quite a bit the last couple of weeks is one we've already looked at in the book of Mark. You remember the paralyzed man who was brought before Jesus? He was lowered through the roof. He's brought before Jesus, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and then he heals his body. Remember that, that story? Over and over and over, it's been brought to mind, and I've been thinking of the man's friends. This man needed Jesus. He needed Jesus to speak power into his life, to speak healing into his life. But he couldn't get there, and his friends had to carry him to the feet of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus... There will be times, there probably are times, there may, you may currently be in a time when you need somebody else to carry you to the feet of Jesus so that you can receive power and healing and strength and forgiveness from him. And that's why they go out two by two. Because we cannot, we were not created to make it on our own. Sometimes people say, uh, you know, we'll be like, well, you know, uh, God is enough for me. Just me and God, I'm good. And sometimes I want to say, I think God disagrees with you on that. Because back in the book of Genesis, Jesus, or God made Adam, and then he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Everything else in creation was good, 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 good. But it is not good for man to be alone. And so he created another human being for fellowship, for communion, for encouragement. And because sometimes in this broken world, we need each other to carry us to Jesus for renewal. So Jesus, you know, it it might seem at first when he sends out these 12, that is very ill-advised. They don't have a great track record so far, Jesus. They're not ready. They're just not ready. And sometimes we can feel like that too, right? I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But Jesus equips them with the, the, the mission, he equips them with, with absolutely everything they need in a physical sense. He equips them with his very own authority, and he equips them with each other, right? The church is one of our greatest allies in whatever Jesus has called us to do. So Jesus, uh, you know, he, I think he might know what he's doing here. <laughs> At first when we read this, it seems a little crazy, Or maybe it seems a little unattainable, and we forget that these are just ordinary guys from ordinary walks of life. But I think Jesus knows what he's doing here. By sending out weak, confused, not altogether people to carry his mission forward, I think he he does that on purpose. I think there's a reason he doesn't go to those that have it all figured out. I think there's a reason he doesn't give them an exam before he sends them also. I think it's because he understands that when ordinary, weak, flawed, human people carry his message and his authority into the world, then the world looks at them and sees not them, 
but sees the power at work within them. This is something the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, understood very well. He understood this idea that that for, for me to be weak means that God's glory and power is shining all the more through me. Listen to some of the things that he said. Uh, this, is, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, or sometimes it might say earthen ves- vessels, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Notice this contrast. He says, we are jars of clay. We're weak. We're fragile. We're easily nicked and broken and shattered and cracked. We are fragile, limited things, but within us, is an all-surpassing power. He has this sense where, where he doesn't just focus on how weak and limited he is, but he sees, he chooses to gaze at how all-surpassing the glory and power of God within him is. He also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, maybe you've heard this before, he said, uh, this is, he was complaining to God about, I'm weak, I'm weak, I have this thorn in my flesh, I struggle, God help me, I, 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 I am really weak, and this is God's answer to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And grace, by the way, doesn't just mean forgiveness of sins, grace is the working of God in your life. Okay? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is actually made perfect in weakness. Therefore, says Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think Paul means this. And we look at him and we're like, yeah, easy for him to say. He's a spiritual superstar. He wrote most of the New Testament, right? He's like one of the most effective of the early apostles of Jesus. Like easy easy for Paul to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. But is it possible we're looking at this the other way around and saying, you know, sometimes when we look at Paul, we might say uh, that that he's, he's so great, And he's so in tune with Jesus, and he's so spiritually powerful that isn't it so easy for him to play humble, right? Wouldn't it be so easy to play humble because he knows he's good? But is that possible that that's, that's the wrong way around to look at it? Is it possible that the very reason Paul was able to be so effective for the ministry is because he realized his own limitations and weaknesses, Is it possible that the reason he is so brilliant when he writes in the New Testament is because he is aware that if he is going to say anything of value at all, it has to be the power of God working through him? Is it possible that Paul really had grasped his own weakness, limitations, unworthiness, and by that very fact was made just the conduit the Holy Spirit needed to pour out in a powerful way through his life? So often, we get stuck when we're on mission with Jesus because we think, I don't have the qualifications. But that feeling of I don't have what it takes might be exactly the posture God needs you in for his spirit to flow through you with power. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God's power is perfected in my weakness. Paul is sort of leading us towards this, uh, this other truth about the passage we just read in Mark. Um, 
you know, Jesus sent them out with the mission. He sent them out with physically what they needed as far as physical care items. Uh, he sent them out with uh, the, the power, the authority. He sent them out with the church, with each other, right? With help from each other. He sent them out with all these things. But there's one sort of more intangible thing that he sent them with that I think is really essential. I think that Paul has really grasped here. And, and in order to talk about this, I want to go back all the way to Mark chapter 3, okay? Just a few chapters earlier in the book of Mark. And, and, and I want to talk about when Jesus appointed these 12. And let's just read this for a second. It says this in verse 13 of Mark chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. See, he already had in mind what he was going to do to have authority to drive out demons. So let's stop there for a second. This is just a list of the 12 people, okay? But let's stop there here for a second, okay? Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to, them that, to him those he wanted and they came to him. Okay, how did this appointing of the 12 happen? Okay, well, Jesus called those he wanted. So let's just rest in this truth for a moment. Let's just let this sink in. If you are a Jesus follower, if you trust and believe in Jesus, that is only true because Jesus wanted you. Because Jesus called you. And then what did they do in response? And they came to him. They did not, what were we just saying? When you call, I won't refuse, right? They, they answered the call by coming to, what does Jesus need you to do in order to be qualified for work in his kingdom? He needs to call you. Sounds like he's done that because you're here. And he needs you to come to him. That's it. The, that's the end of the prereqs right there. You just passed. He calls, you come, and then he gives you authority, power, mission, each other, everything you need to go work powerfully in the spirit. There's a verse that's been coming up a lot in my life in the last few months, uh, over and over and over, and I've just been mulling on it. It's become an endless source of inspiration for me, and it is a verse that I had never really noticed until somebody pointed, out to, pointed it out to me a few months ago, and it is in John, the book of John, chapter 15, verse 16. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, and fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus is saying, I know, I know it feels like you chose me, right? Like, like, yeah, I'm a Christian because I choose Jesus. But the reality is I chose you and I appointed you. For what purpose? Just to sit here and have fun? I appointed you to bear fruit, to do good things. The, the, the book of uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that God has appointed us or has created us to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He already has it in mind. He appointed us to bear fruit so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. What he's saying is, I chose you to bear fruit and if you need anything on that journey, if you're lacking in wisdom or power or understanding or courage, you're lacking in any of these things in order to fulfill the mission of God in your life, just ask 
the Father will supply. Don't take an extra shirt. Don't take a money bag. Don't take a bunch of extra food. Just ask, and what you need will be provided for you to accomplish his mission and bear fruit. And beginning with that chosenness, you know, so often, so often it seems like, like God is waiting for us to sign up, right? Like there's a, there's a need, maybe you hear a need announced at church, something that, you know, we need, we need more teachers in elementary or whatever, right? You hear a need or, or you see a need in your workplace. That person really needs a friend. They really need someone to just come alongside them. Or you see a need in your family. You just, you see a need, you hear about a need, and it feels like God's just waiting for us to sign up. In one sense, that's true. But in a deeper sense, he's saying, no, 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 no. I already chose you. You're already on the list, You know, in this same story of the sending of the 12 in the book of Luke, they come back to Jesus a chapter later and they say, Jesus, it was amazing, it was amazing, it was amazing, it was amazing. The demons listened to us and we healed sick people and and we cast out all kinds of evil spirits and nothing could stand against us in your name, Jesus. And he goes, that is awesome, you guys. But you know what? Don't rejoice. I love this. He says, don't rejoice that the demons listen to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Jesus is saying, I've already got your name down. It's already on my register, okay? And I have appointed you to bear fruit. So let's do this. I've given you everything you need. I've given you community. I've given you people around you to support you. I've given you my spirit, my authority. Let's do this. And you know, if you find you're lacking anything along the way, just ask my father. He will supply it. But so often, many of us sit in the corner and we feel like, if I was like that person or like this person or if I really had the ability to do what God has put in my heart to do, then I might raise my hand, sign up, and go do the mission of Jesus. But, but, but if you feel like that in this room, you're sitting in the corner going, this is nice for other people but probably doesn't really apply to me. Yeah, but I'm not them. I'm not this. I'm not that. Just hear that Jesus has chosen you and appointed you to bear fruit. And you know, some of us might not even be on that train, this like generalized, like, I'm not enough kind of place. Some of us might be on a different track altogether. You know, if you're anything like me, you very quickly start to feel disqualified from the plan of God by the things in your heart, by the things in your past, by the things that the enemy loves to remind you about, the things that bring the most shame for you. And you start to be like, oh, you know, I was, I was qualified. Jesus did want to send me out, but I am no longer, I've disqualified myself from his mission in the world. Here's a story that's been of great comfort to me lately, great courage for me lately. It's a story of a guy named Peter who was sent out with the disciples in Mark chapter 6. And in Luke 22, Jesus says this to Peter also called Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. He's talking about when Simon is going to deny that he even knows Jesus, right? He says, Satan wants to sift you. I'm praying that your faith won't fail. So even after this massive moral failure, turn back and strengthen the brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison and to death with you. Simon, man, he thought he had it all together. Yeah, I'm on mission with Jesus. I got this. I'm ready to go. 
Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three, t- deny three times that you even know me. And we know the story a few chapters later, Jesus is arrested, Peter's standing in the courtyard, and he can see Jesus on trial. He's being accused, he's being slandered, he's being hit. And Peter denies three times that he even knows that man over there. And then it says in the book of Luke, in the account in the, in the book of Luke, it says that Jesus looks up and just looks directly at Peter, just pierces right through him. And the rooster crows, and Peter goes outside and just breaks down. He loses it, right? Peter disqualified himself from being used, so he thought. And he spent days and days and days wrestling with this. And somewhere around 20, few weeks to, to a month or more later, something happens that just changes the whole picture for Peter. John chapter 21, it says this, when they had finished eating, they were eating with Jesus on the beach. He had appeared to them after the resurrection. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus knows about Peter's moral failure. And you know what? Peter's actually going to have another big moral failure later when he's like leading the church in Jerusalem. And he's going to get called out for it by the Apostle Paul. It's going to be really embarrassing. Jesus knows about Peter's failure. Jesus also knows about Peter's repentance. Peter's wish to make it right, to be made clean, and to be brought back into the mission. And so Jesus does this, what's often called reinstating Peter or restoring him, right? Restoring him, letting him declare his love for Jesus. And then he says, you know, I love that Jesus doesn't go, I love you too, Peter. I love you too. We're good, right? No, what does he do? He says, yes, you do love me. Therefore, go bear fruit. Feed my sheep. I have work for you to do. And Jesus is showing us here in, in, in this passage that what what he requires of us to be used in his kingdom, no matter what we've struggled with in our past, no matter what things just the enemy loves to remind us of, Jesus is saying, no, 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 that, that is not on the table right now. All that stuff matters, but none of that is on the table right now. What he's saying, if you're sitting here feeling disqualified from being part of God's plan is, do you love me? And if the honest answer of your heart is, yes, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you, then he says, come on, let's get to work. I have a specific mission, a plan, something I want you to do because it is not about how much you're committed to me and how much you've chosen me because Peter, man, he was committed and then he just fell flat on his face. But it's about the fact that I, Jesus, have chosen you And I have fruit for you to bear in my authority, in my power. So oftentimes we come to Jesus and we sense that he wants us to do things, right? He he wants us to share his message. He wants us to, to do the work of the kingdom. He wants us to continue to bring it forward in the world. And we just feel so underqualified. And this passage in Mark reminds us 
that he equips us with everything we need, including each other, including the Holy Spirit. Some of us, uh, we just we come to Jesus and we know that he wants us to, to bring the kingdom forward and to bring his message and we see the needs around us and we just, we just feel so weak. We feel like we don't have the spiritual chutzpah, the strength to just go do it. And, 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 and this story reminds us that God's power is actually perfected. Is actually, that's actually the posture he wants us to have so that he can use us most effectively when we understand that we're not enough in ourselves. And then some of us come here and we go, yeah, I know Jesus has work to do in the world. I know that he wants to just totally radically transform lives and he wants to use me to be a part of that, but I just feel like you don't know what's in my heart. You don't know what's in my past. You don't know what the enemy just brings up again and again every single day to remind me why I'm disqualified for service. And this story reminds us that we did not choose him. But knowing all of our failings and shortcomings, he said to us, I choose you and I have appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so what I'd like to do as we close here today, I don't know where you're at or what, where you're at with your mission, on mission with Jesus and, and if you're just totally all in with him and just like, yes, I, I feel like God is using me and there is fruit in my life. That is awesome. Keep going. Keep growing in that. I don't know if maybe you needed to hear a word that says, you know, I'm really not enough in my own and that is okay because God, God's power is perfected in my weakness. I don't, I don't know if maybe uh, you, you, you just struggle to feel like God could ever want to use you because you're so broken, because there's so many things that just come up again and again. Wherever you're at this morning, I think, I think this, this passage in John chapter 15 that we already looked at, I think that is his word for all of us this morning. And I think that uh, to faithfully follow Jesus, uh, it would be good for us to practice just receiving that together. So what I'd like to do to finish up um, is I, I would just like to speak this, this verse one more time over us, almost as a blessing or a benediction as we continue in worship and then as we leave this place. And uh, if you want to, if you want to close your eyes and just hear these words of Jesus spoken over you, um, if you want to, uh, if, you, if you're feeling extra bold and you want to open your hands as just a physical gesture of I receive this blessing, this is Jesus' word to you and to me this morning as he sends us out into the world to continue his work of building the kingdom. Let's hear this together. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling us to do your work. Thank you that you don't expect us to be more than we are. You know that we are earthen vessels. You know that we are weak people with thorns in our flesh. You know that like your disciples, we don't fully understand. And yet you send us in the power of your spirit and in the community of your church to bring your message and your healing forward into the world. Jesus, thank you for choosing us Thank you for appointing us for this work. We lean into that this morning. And this week we choose to not let our own feelings of failure or fear keep us from courageously following you in your mission. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word in your name. Amen.